Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 171 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is May 23rd, 2011. We've got a great show for you this week on the podcast. We've got some team questions that you guys have sent in or, or called in. We're going to get to with Coach Harvey Hyde in the first segment. We also have Gerard Martinez coming up a little bit later on in the show. Talking some USC recruiting. We are currently in the May evaluation period where coaches are out on the road checking out high school prospects the uscfootball.com staff we've been out there on the road as well getting film and interviews from some of these prospects as they get new offers come out and new commitments come out so we're going to talk to gerard martinez about all of that some of the potential future trojans out there on the road during this may evaluation period if you don't know the peristyle podcast it's our weekly internet radio show talking all about the usc trojans comes out every monday monday morning here out on the west coast if you have any questions or comments we love hearing from you Drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com, or give us a call, 206-888-6755 is the number. Leave us a voicemail. We will play your call on the podcast and then answer your question. we got a couple of those coming up today in our first segment with the coach, Harvey Hyde. Coach, how you doing, man? Ryan, I am doing fantastic. I tell you, I can't wait to talk football. We're getting closer and closer to football. I think I read... Uh, on your website, something that there's only about a hundred days now. Yeah. I guess less left for the till the first game. It's crazy, huh? I think yeah, like a hundred. I think it's about a hundred days right now. I got to look and see that the latest total is. But it's pretty nuts that the football season's coming around in a couple months. Can't get any better than that, can it? So get out, everyone, and enjoy it, and start getting in shape and get ready for college football. There's nothing as good as college football. I tell you, it's exciting all weekend and. Ah, oh, Lee, you talk about it all during the week. You make your predictions. You get your tailgate uh, lunches packed, and it's just uh, a great time of year. But we've got summer to get through and conditioning to get through and a lot of recruiting to get through and fall camp and so on uh, until the college football season comes. And who knows? There might be uh, all college football and not any NFL football this year. Yeah. You might even get college football on Sunday, huh? That would be fun. I don't know. It'll be, it'll be a little different. But I think that we're going to have a season in the NFL. But who knows? We'll see what goes on. But before we get started, I wanted to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. SCTickets.com is their website. Or call them at 1-800-888-7287 if you need tickets for any kind of sporting event here in the South Southland or anywhere across the country. Or if you want tickets for concerts, theater, things like that. Take your wife or girlfriend or fiance. Take them someplace. Go to sctickets.com, and they will help you out. And, Coach, I also want to let people know, I think I forgot to mention this before, we got a new mobile app. I'm not sure if you're a big uh, smartphone user, but for the Android, in the Android market, you can search for USC football, and you'll find our uscfootball.com mobile app where you can get to the message boards and read all our stories and stuff right on your phone. It's pretty easy. We are developing the iPhone app, and we're just waiting for the approval process to go through. Uh, with the the iTunes store there. So we should have an app up there for the iPhone users out there pretty soon. 
Not sure about the BlackBerry. I'm going to find out with the developer about that. But if you have an Android phone, go to the market and search for USC football. You should find our app in there. Check it out. Download it. Give us a nice ranking and stuff. Coach, are you a big uh, smartphone user? Buddy, I'm just learning. I, I'm just learning now how to do the uh, computer. Okay, <laughs> but the, the, don't try to confuse me. Okay, <laughs> I, I, just right now I'm feeling pretty confident as far as just getting to uscfootball.com and searching and enjoying all the stuff you put up there. Okay. All right. <laughs> Man, Coach. I tell you, you're talking like you're I'm on the moon or something. <laughs> Well, I'm just proud of you. Get you checking out. I know you check out the videos of all the recruits and stuff on USCFootball.com. I do. I do. So yeah. hopefully the podcast has helped you with that. Yeah, it really has. It helps me with my evaluations, and and I love that as soon as someone commits or you've got these, uh, you know, you get out to spring uh, practice with the high schools, and I was just watching one today, and you've got all these players that commit on there. It's it's absolutely fantastic, I, and I sort of then form my opinion. Like the other day, we were talking about Armstead. Eric uh, Armstead, uh, we were talking about, I said, if, if we have, if, I've never seen a five-star. If he's not a five-star, there isn't any five-stars, okay? And so I sort of rank him myself as as uh, all of the players commit and you evaluate him and so on. But I tell you, I think it's great. And it's just, you do such a great service for the football fan. The reason why you do, Ryan, it's very little football college football is carried locally in the media or on the radio i mean i don't there's nobody talking about college football now uh, if you're in the southeastern conference these other conferences that's all they do is talk about football but out here right now you can't turn on a station where you get people talking about football or you have football articles as far as um, in the newspapers i was i called phil Steele the other day he does a great publication, was talking to him, and he just went to press. And I'm excited about getting the, the publications for the coming football season. I mean, it, there's, there isn't any other way to find out what's happening in football than go to your website. It just doesn't happen. Or go to Rivals, and then you can check every team in the country, really. Well, I appreciate it, Coach. I mean, that's why we started this podcast, because, I mean, I was doing radio talking about USC and other markets, but in LA, they don't really talk college football, even during spring football, nothing on recruiting. And we felt that we needed to create our own voice out there. And luckily we've been, you know, the show's worked and, you know, over the last three plus years, it's, it's grown and we get thousands of people downloading every week and we get questions and people coming up to us all the time. So, I mean, that's basically why coach, it's a different market. If we were covering Nebraska in Lincoln, there's no problem talking, you know, everyone, the, the news stations will talk about Nebraska football year round in LA. It's a definitely a pro market. It's a little, di- little different thing out here, but you know, we've had to get creative and that's how the podcast was born. And you've done a great job in doing that. And you provide a lot of information for the hungry football fan and the, and the Trojan fan. And I think it's great because you just can't get into football season without sort of prepping and getting ready for it and having your off season too. If you're a football fan, you're a football fan all year round. You go through the different seasons off season. There's more. I used to say, "Hey, you be, you become a better football team during the off season than during the season. Why? It's a longer period of time, and during that period of time, you have more important things happening than just games. You got to recruit. You got to condition. You got to rehab. You got to get your grades up. You got so many things to do during the off season that make you a better football team. So if you got if you're becoming a better football team during the off season, then there's a lot to talk about." And they just don't carry that. And 
really does bother me a lot. That's why I've agreed to do this with you because, you know, for all of our people that have the same passion for football that we have, we want to share with them. Yeah, we do, and it's great, and we appreciate you coming on, Coach. And let's get to some of these questions. We got some USC offense questions and some offensive line stuff. Uh, first one, let's go with Jamal. Uh, he was talking about in a recent interview uh they asked chip kelly the head coach at oregon about freshmen true freshmen playing and he said it's because the offense is pretty simple to learn and jamal wanted to know why is usc's offense so complicated that freshmen they get that are four and five star guys can't get on the field and play just you know a lot of people have been doing this kind of stuff kind of comparing usc's offense to to what oregon's doing what are your thoughts on that coach well my thoughts are I think a freshman, if he's got great talent like Robert Woods did last year, he should be able to play. I think you're doing a disservice to the kid and to your football team unless the best players play. And if you recruit, if you're recruiting the best players and they're not playing for some reason or another, and you're only getting one year out of them or two years out of them because they got to learn the offense and they don't know the offense, then you're hurting your football program. I think players, your best players, have got to be on the football field. And if you if it's a freshman that's coming in and he's a better fresh uh, player than a senior, and that senior's allowed that freshman to come in and beat him out, then that's the way it is. Because uh, I, if you have uh, open competition and you're fair in your competition and so on, if it's equal now, the senior plays. But if the freshman is better, then you're hurting your football team and your football program unless the best player plays, because everyone on your football team knows who the best player is. And if you don't have a system where these kids can learn it, then you're hurting your football program. And, and you know, I've heard that a lot. I, I heard it not I, – I, I used to hear this during the Pete Carroll era, too, that it's very difficult to come in and learn the system and play as a freshman and so on. Well, then you're doing too much. I'm just telling you, you're doing too much if you – Confuse your players where a kid has played football his entire life, can't come in and use his athletic abilities and learn the reads and become a football player where he can start as a freshman if he's a great player. Uh, I don't buy that. It's amazing. You can play against every great player in America that's a freshman. They'll line up and beat you. But you can't play your better players that are ranked higher in the recruiting rankings and, and because they're learning the system. Then you're, you better change your system. You're doing too much. You're, you're getting your kids to think rather than play football. Because if your kids are thinking what they have to do, then they can't play football. So you can do such a thing as too much. Like I've said all along, and for our listeners that listen regularly uh, to us, I've said, you know, Oregon's got about six plays, but they're running from about 20 different formations with motions and all of that. Well, you don't need a lot of plays. You just got to execute them properly. And you've got to be able to say, if they do this, I do that. When they do that, then I do this. And when they're doing both of those, then they can't stop this one. And and that's what you do if you get too complicated and you have too much. Then you, as a coach, become confused too. And you have too much to call from and too much to search for them. And you're not getting a rhythm yourself into the game to know if you are playing the game as a quarterback's playing that game and the backs and the players and so on. You don't get a rhythm of the feel of what it takes to win out there, and you start to think rather than play. So I think you can get too confusing. You can outthink yourself. Trying to make big, thick play booklets and all this stuff doesn't impress me a bit. 
it's the kids that run those plays and how they run those plays and how you teach them to run those plays so that they can be successful. And then you having a a offense and series of offensive plays that know if they do this, the kids know they we're going to do that and they can't stop both of them because then we'll do that. And that's how simple you keep it. You just do it. Freshmen should play and be able to play if they're great players and they're the best. Why only get two years out of a great player because he's just a freshman in the Southwood? Why? You're injuring your football program. Well, we saw Robert Woods last year, Coach. We'll see which uh, true freshman come in and play this year. Thanks for that question, Jamal. Uh, next up, we got a, a question about the USC offense as well. This is a voicemail one. Hey, this message is for Coach. I just This is Darren from Venice. I just wanted to ask a quick question. Why you think we are going away from our bread and butter, um, in, which was in the past, like uh, a quick slant um, using uh, our big receivers in the slot, um, which was always good for like five, six, seven yards. Um, why we've kind of gone away from that during the uh, lay, you know, post-Norm Chow and Lane Kiffin era? All right, I know what he's thinking about. He's talking about the mismatches that Norm Chow used to do as far as as the slot position, put the big receiver out there. Even sometimes put your tight end in that slot position where you have a 6'5 receiver on a 5'10 defensive back and you just run seam routes and slant routes and so on and try to cause mismatches. I don't know why they have not run that as much as what they have. They do run the slant slant route a lot, from the split receiver side, but not to the uh, slot receiver. Uh, There's a lot of combination routes that you can do from slot routes, which I I don't think they really utilize as much as they could, crossing routes and corner routes, and especially against man secondaries where you really, uh, you know, cause a lot of problems. I I, I don't think they they utilize the passing game to uh, what they could. Uh, I, I really think they've got to widen the field and stretch the field more than what they've been doing. You don't see many deep routes. The only deep route you really see is the fade route, and they throw that a lot. I think you'd be able to call, you've got to be able to call a fade and come back. You've got to be able to call the out and up. You've got to be able to call the post corner. You've got to be able to run the deep post. You've got to be able to run drags. You've got to be able to make your secondary worry about covering the entire field, and this is something that I'm not just talking about it today, but I talk about it during the football talk about it during the football season because you got to make people cover the whole field and fear your skilled receivers, and, and I don't think that's really being accomplished. All right, yeah, I mean, we've got to see a lot of that with uh, Mike Williams. I think probably made Mike that Williams, yeah, the most famous pushing down little defensive backs when he would line up. They would line up outside too; it wasn't necessarily in the slot, but he just the matchups with him were were unbelievable. Right. Do you remember the one-handed catch he made? Which one? (laughs) I know. Okay. You're right. I don't know. The one that everybody remembers. I forget what game it was, but he stretched out from the slot position and made a beautiful catch. Just a beautiful catch. Yeah, now he's now he's doing well in the NFL with uh, in Seattle. So we'll. we'll I'm glad he is. We'll see what happens there. Um, All right. Well, that was uh, Dennis in Venice. Thank you for that question um let's talk about the offensive line a little bit coach and matt wrote in a a very detailed question that you know makes some sense here there's a lot of talk about the usc offensive line being a problem uh on this team uh maybe for the last couple years or so and he said it's been talked about on espn 
And he didn't think it made much sense because if you look at the talent, and he listed a lot of the USC offensive linemen and kind of where they were ranked recruiting ranking-wise. Like, a, you know, a Matt Khalil was a five-star dude. Uh, David Garnett and Jeremy Galton were two of the top JC offensive linemen in the country. You know, Andre Walker was the number, was the number one guard in the country. Um, John Martinez was the number one center, uh, you know, in his class. There's, there's a lot of highly ranked guys on this USC offensive line. It's, he said it seems like everyone's a four- or five-star top player from the class. It doesn't get much better than the list that USC has. What is he missing there as far as USC struggling on the offensive line? Well, they had a lot of injuries uh, during the spring, and they had a lot of rehabbing to do and so on. And, and uh, I, I sort of agree with him. You know, you've got to build up the confidence in your offensive linemen you, you, or, or any position you have. I don't think you can be critical of players. I think you've got to be positive with players. I think you've got to turn a negative, if it is a negative, into a positive by building self-confidence into those players, whether it's the offensive line, defensive line, running backs, doesn't make any difference. And I agree. I heard a lot this spring as far as comments saying, well, we don't have all our players out there or we're not up to strength in our offensive line or we need help in our offensive line or we don't have any depth in our offensive line, which basically is not helping you improve your offensive line because, you know, your offensive linemen read the newspaper and listen to radio and hear uh, us discuss people in media uh, the strength and weaknesses of a football team. Myself, when you have a position that maybe you need to work on and maybe it's not the same caliber as other positions in your fifth football program, you try to help those players in that position to get better and you run offensive plays, which sort of makes it easier on them to perform their duties. And you can't always just, uh, if you don't have the talent, blow people out and do certain things in certain ways. There's different ways, trapping sweeps, uh, double teams, uh, different types of things that you help your offensive linemen become successful. Uh, I agree that I don't know uh, uh, every year the top players, when you look at the top rated rated uh, classes, SC's been in the top. Uh, you got Khalil, the uh, tackle, they're, they're talking about now him being the third player selected in the whole draft next year. Well, that's got to be a pretty good offensive lineman. You've got other players who are uh, going to be great offensive linemen and have been on the recruiting Martinez as well as all the rest of them. So I, I, I don't think you can sit back and complain, but that's what you have. And if that's what you have, then you've got to make good with that. And uh, if it's a freshman that's going to come in and play, and it's the same thing with the freshman, I think it's harder for a, an offensive lineman to play as a freshman than any other position, believe me. But I think uh, you've got to be able to get your top five players in the offensive line in any type of a combination, cross-train them all so one can be a tackle or it can be a guard, and you get your top five guys out there and you build positive vibes with them. You make them a unit. Remember, the offensive line is a unit, and you get them to perform, and you don't ask them to do things they can't do. There's talent out there. There's talent out there, but you've got to utilize that talent in a way where you can become successful and you've got to be positive with these kids. 
positive with these kids on your approach. You can't make someone feel like they are going to assist you in your program when you're talking about someone returning back or someone coming in that's going to replace them. If someone's going to replace them, then that kid should be beaten out, not just assume he's going to get a certain spot on the depth chart. And I would, I would encourage every player that went through spring ball and say, you're our guy, and if someone comes back and beats you out, then don't look at me, look at yourself. And I think that's the best way, and that's what kids only want. Kids want to be treated fairly, and I think you've got to treat them with a positive attitude because if that's what you're playing with, then that's what you're playing with, and you better be positive because they're the ones that, that are there because you recruited them. So uh, that's my answer with that. I, I, I agree. I, I think you've got to make make good with what you have, and if someone can come in and be better, so be it. That's great. And uh, but but you know you can't just complain about things. You know you can't blame it on a kid. You gotta you gotta move forward. You gotta do what you can do. Maybe you can't drop back and throw in the cup. Then spread out. Do something else. Keep the offensive defensive line off balance by running traps and trap draws and screens. Become a great screening team and do different things. But do it and do it well. Don't do a lot of things, but do it well. That's great. it. Yeah, great points, coach. And I think you know. You look at spring, four of the five top five offensive linemen weren't practicing. So it was like kind of Matt Khalil and a bunch of other guys that probably aren't going to end up starting in the fall. So that, you know, it's not, it's a hard way to judge. Last year, I think it's overall, it's mostly been about depth. It's not necessarily been about talent. And the depth has certainly been an issue. And Lane Kiffin is doing what he can to address that and bringing in more, uh, you know, big bodies on that offensive line. But you, you also, I, I caution people when you say, this kid was a five-star kid. It doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be a super stud when he gets to the next level. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. I mean, sometimes a a player peaks out athletically in high school, and you see them dominating competition, and maybe against a guy that go, you know, playing the same competition, a guy that's not really dominating, but he still has more of an upside. And you see that the second guy get to college and continue to grow and get better athletically. And the guy that kind of peaked in high school doesn't really get better athletically, and he's not pushing guys around that he used to be able to do that. So I, I, I definitely caution people just because he was highly ranked, a player was highly ranked coming out of high school doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be a superstar when it comes to, to the college experience. Uh, but you, you're right, having that many highly ranked guys, you would think some of those guys are going to end up panning out and, and being a good part of this USC offensive line. You're right, and I tell you, they have a great offensive line. It just maybe, maybe not one of the lines that people have heard of, and they're all number one draft choices and so on. But heck, you play against teams every year that don't have all those type of guys, and they find a way to win. So what you have to do is take what you have and find a way to develop them and build the pride in the offensive line as a unit, and then find a way to win. And uh, they'll have an offensive line. They've got the best players in America. Just got to find a way to develop them and get them ready out there and build a unit together and smack somebody and be the hammer and not the nail. All right. Well, there's a, here's one last question, Coach. It's a two-part question. Another another voicemail sent in for us. Hi, my name is Marcel from Los Angeles. I was wondering to get the coach's opinion uh, in light of the problems that Central Henderson is going through at Miami. Is Do you think that worked out better for USC that he did not come? Uh, my second question is, 
what is the coach's opinion on what the Big 12 is doing as far as proposing to pay players, and do you think that is a distraction tactic to get the NCAA off of Jim Trussell and what Ohio State has done? Thanks, and enjoy the show. Well, thank you very much, and thank you for calling in. First of all, you know, you hate to lose great players, and Henderson was a great player, but he had a lot of baggage and attitude, too. And, you know, you, you'll take a player that's a great player if he has a little baggage and attitude because he is a great player. You don't want to have that from a guy who can't play. I'll spend some time in trying to help a kid or change a kid that's a great player. The worst thing is you have a guy that's giving you a bunch of trouble and he can't play. So uh, should have FC kept him and could, if, if, they, if they had him, would they be better off? Absolutely. But they didn't, and uh, for some reason he felt he didn't want to go to USC after Coach Carroll left. And if that's what he wanted to do and transfer to Miami, that's where he went. Now, the same situation happened there now. Now, uh, the coach from Miami goes. They got a new coach, Coach Golan, there, and all of a sudden everything's not copacetic. He's ballooned up. He's second string. He got hurt. He's thinking about transferring. You know, that, in, that 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 doesn't happen. Now this is the second time in two years the guy's thinking about it. It's everybody else. It's it's not me. You know sometimes you got to look at yourself and say, hey son, it's time that you grow up. It's time that you find out that other guy's going to hit you back now. It's time now that you know people aren't intimidated about who you are like they were in high school. And sometimes your family should let you go and cut the string and let you grow up as a man. And I'm not quite sure that's happening. I'm not quite sure if he's growing up as a man. And I think that he's going to be a heck of a man when he give, when he's given that opportunity. I certainly do wish he was at SC. Why? He's a great player and has great potential. I watched him on video uh, when he was a high school player. And, man, he's a very dominant player, great player. But uh, if he can't fit in and if he's not willing to work and if he's lazy – and if he's not taking better care of himself physically, and if he's complaining all the time and becoming a locker room lawyer, then, son, you're second string in this position. Until you prove to me you should be number one, you're going to be there. And if you don't like it, then find another place. Now, you don't want to run him off, but you don't want to put up with his crap either. Because what it does, it spreads. It's like termites. you got a lot of termites, they can eat away a big building, okay? But you got to have guys that are willing to dedicate themselves and work for what they have and not be given it. And a lot of times, these kids that are all these All-Americans and high school All-Americans that come in and so on, sometimes aren't used to having to fight or, or have someone hit them back. And, uh, you know, I think he's a – I don't know the kid personally, so I'm not attacking the kid because I don't know he's probably a great kid. But it's time for the kid to grow up and know that's his future. And it's time for that kid to find out that God's given him ability to play college football, get an education, and maybe someday make a lot of money. And if he keeps going the way he's going, then it's not going to happen. Now, I wish he was at SC. I wish he grew up at SC because I, I like SC football. I think he'd have been a great player. But since he's not there, he's got to do that somewhere else. And then uh, the second part of that coach was, uh, he said Big 12, but it was actually the Big 10. There, there was, Andy Staples actually had an interesting story from SI.com. 
And there's been, I think it was around Twitter and stuff too, but basically people talking about the Big Ten coming out and saying that they want to explore and talk to other conferences about paying players, not necessarily paying like some kind of salary, but paying the full cost of a scholarship. Because just because a full ride doesn't necessarily mean a full ride. If you're going to a more expensive school, there's other costs that are involved with that. And just being able for players to be able to eat a meal off a of campus or pay for everything. So there's, there's little costs involved that aren't covered by the scholarship. And I think that's what the, what the big 10 has been talking about. Now that was kind of the gist of the whole story. And, and the question he wanted to know is you think that's, they brought that up because it's a distraction with all the Jim Trussell stuff was going on. Well, I don't know if they brought it up because of uh, trying to distract from the Jim Trussell thing. It is amazing how it's sort of gone away. Uh, it might be big news in Columbus. I don't know. I don't subscribe to the, Columbus newspaper, but uh, it isn't getting national attention anymore, and they certainly haven't done much about it uh, in their investigation or their, it didn't look like that uh, Trestle at this point is going to lose his job or anyone else connected with the situation, so I really don't know what's happening there, and you know, Jim Delaney is really uh, the commissioner of the, the Big Ten is a sharp dude, he really is a sharp dude. And if he can start some type of discussion uh, to, to get people to look and talk about different things, that would that if anyone was going to say that's why they did it, I'd say he did that. But as far as the pain players and doing that, that's never going to happen unless there becomes a super conference where they break away and the super BCS conferences form their own NCAA division, which is called the Super Division One, the other state Division One. But there's no way you can afford to pay everyone what 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 it is and 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 look at it this way Ryan if you give somebody five dollars he thinks he deserves ten dollars if you give somebody ten dollars then they want fifteen dollars what is the number right now it's an education in college you don't have a loan you don't have to pay this loan back look how many students go to college and after they graduate they've got a hundred thousand dollars in loans they have to pay back an athlete doesn't have any loans to pay back. A lot of people are in the same financial situations as a lot of these athletes are. And don't get me wrong, they do a lot for the university athletes. And they do spend a lot of time uh, doing things for the university, but they're rewarded for it. And right now at USC, their graduation rate is unbelievable. It is tremendously good because of the academic uh, help that all these student athletes are getting and so on it's really tremendous so in other universities uh how can you afford if you do it for football you got to do it for every sport you can't just do it for football but you have kids that are hurting in all sports and title nine's not going to allow you just to give it to football you got to pay all the, the the same amount of money to all the sports and now universities can't afford that so for it them to bring that up in the Big Ten, it's absolutely ridiculous. It, it, because it can't happen, it won't happen, because of so many different reasons that we don't have the time to get to. But, you know, they're trying to say people won't be trying to give the kids money or buy off kids or there won't be agents or marketing guys out there. That, But that'll always be there. That's always going to be there. Because that's what those people do for a living. They go out and try to 
identify as coaches, identify as young players, who these players are going to be, and create a relationship with these players so that along the way that when this player becomes successful that he'll become they'll become this player's agent and they'll ride along and do the marketing for this player and everything else. Now, whether they give the kid anything, I don't know. But but it's never going to be enough for for anyone. So you got to, I think, keep it the way it is. They want to give them 50 bucks enough spending money. I remember used to get 20 bucks or 100 bucks a month for laundry money or whatever it is. Okay, fine. Maybe most universities can't afford that. But most universities I know, they're operating in the red. They're not operating in the black. There's only a very few universities that are operating in the red. So I, uh, so I'm in the black. So I have, I have a, I don't. This is never going to happen. Just like the college football division one playoffs are never going to happen. But everybody keeps talking about it. Everybody thinks it's going to happen. You can talk and talk and talk about it. All the radio people can talk about it. They talk about how ridiculous it is. Every other sport has a playoff. And division one A has a playoff and two, but it's not going to happen. Division one football. So. Uh, I don't think they're going to change the scholarship situation either. All right. Well, Coach, we really appreciate your time and uh, great stuff as always. It's fun talking college football with you in the middle of May as we're waiting for fall practice to start up again. Well, buddy, it's always great talking with you. You guys have a great week, and I'll talk to you next Monday. Sounds sounds great, Coach. Thank you so much for tuning in. And everyone else will be back in 30 seconds talking with Gerard Martinez. got some USC football recruiting topics to get to. Stay tuned for that. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We're going to talk some USC recruiting with uscfootball.com national recruiting analyst, Gerard Martinez. What's going on, Gerard? How are you? I'm doing good. Just, uh, in the thick of camp season, and so uh, trying to pace ourselves here. We've got uh, the Lyman and Skills Camp coming up for USC here in early June, and then it's the Big Rising Stars Camp, and we'll see if USC has any more commitments between now and then. Yeah, it's been kind of crazy with uh, you know the May evaluation period. The coaches are out there. Been some recent offers, a couple extra commitments since we've had you on last. Uh, maybe we can kind of get an update on all of that. Well, USC's had two recent commitments uh, they have a total of seven verbal commitments right now. Uh, the two commitments came from two running backs, which surprised a lot of people. Uh, first, uh, there being Kevin York, and Kevin York is from uh, Fortin College. He's originally from uh, actually Louisiana and uh, played in Louisiana in high school in, in 2009 and did not qualify uh, for Division One. ended up going to Texas Southern for a semester, but he was a Prop 48 selection there for Texas Southern, so he didn't play or practice with the team that semester, so that allowed him to transfer straight out of Texas Southern, 
And he basically figured, you know, if I'm going to get a Division One scholarship, I really need to go to a junior college. That's going to be a better step for me than playing at Texas Southern and then transferring from there after playing. So he decided to transfer out of Texas Southern, ended up at uh, Fullerton College here locally. Said the USC was uh, kind of always his dream school, a school that he always watched and followed, even though he was in, uh, kind of in LSU's backyard and a Louisiana kid. And uh, Ed Orgeron uh, got a hold of his tape, started watching it, uh, went down and, uh, you know, personally evaluated him here in May and, uh, you know, decided to get an offer basically, you know, a week uh, a little more than a week after he got his personal uh, evaluation um, the first time. I think I think they saw him play twice, actually, in the May evaluation period at Ergeron. And um, he, they just, you know, the, the, the coaching staff really liked that he was a big body. He's 5'11", 225 pounds. And USC really doesn't have a lot of size in their offensive backfield right now. They graduate Alan Bradford, and this season, you know, you're kind of looking around at the guys that they have, and you wonder who's that guy who's going to push the pile. Uh, Mark Tyler's probably the biggest running back they have right now, but he's not really a pile back. That's not his style. He's definitely more of a of a kind of a, a quick-footed um, a running back that kind of prods the, the hole and kind of looks – for openings, it's not necessarily a guy that's just going to run through people and make make a hole for himself. And so, you know, they're looking at the future. They want to continue to run this pro style offense very obviously by some of these commitments that they've had. And uh, in order to do that, you got to have some guys who have some size and you can, you know, get a first down on third and three. And uh, this is what you know a guy like Kelvin York is able to do. So they got his commitment. Then they turn around and uh, just uh, Friday night. They offered Jalil Pinner, who's a six foot one, two hundred thirty pound running back, uh, defensive end, linebacker from Mission Viejo High School. He's a high school kid, and uh, he's a real big body. And he's a guy that you know USC been looking at uh, for a while here. And we, you know, it, when you had your commit, a lot of people thought, well, that was it. You know, that's kind of the end of the deal. They're not going to go and offer another running back. They've only got fifteen, uh, you know, as we understand it now, seventeen scholarships to give in this class. You know, how are you going to be able? To, to have that many running backs. Well, lo and behold, they turn around and they did offer Jaleel Pinner. And, um, you know, he's a guy that's, uh, you know, obviously a local kid. Um, like I said, plays running back, kind of does play fullback a little bit too. Uh, saw him play twice last year. Wasn't totally blown away with him as a running back. He's a really big body. I think he fits more of a fullback role for USC. And, you know, knowing that Ergeron really liked him a lot and, uh, and kind of eyeballed him, I kind of look at him and I go, you know, this is one of those kids that maybe down the line could actually end up growing into being a defensive lineman. He is that big. He's got a really big body on him, a uh, really big frame, and the kind of kid that, uh, you know, back east, uh, you know, kids don't really grow so much, I think, once they get into college. But you never know with the Pac-10 region. You get some kids that, uh, you know, come out of high school and they still got a lot of growing to do. And uh, Pinner kind of reminds me of one of those kids. Um, he was actually, as a youth, uh, a track star, a guy that ran the 100, 200 meters also. So he has some athleticism, um, but definitely I think fits more of the athlete, maybe that jumbo athlete category than a lot of people would assume uh, just hearing that he's a running back from Mission Viejo. So USC gets two commitments there, back-to-back running backs. They're also recruiting a kid named Ryan Daniels, or Ryan McDaniels, excuse me, uh, from uh, North Torrance High School, who's another guy who's a big back. He's about six foot, 225 pounds. Uh, you watch his tape, very impressive. He's another guy that will run right through you. And, and a kid that's got a little more burst, it looks like, at the end of his runs. And uh, USC's been there, and they've been looking at him a lot. Now, a lot of people, again, the assumption would be, well, they've got, you know, York. They've got Pinner. They've got two big backs. 
they don't have enough room to get another big back. Well, the thing about uh, McDaniel, which is kind of intriguing, is that he also plays linebacker, and he's got some really good linebacker tape, too. And USC's looking for those kind of smaller, explosive linebackers, especially a guy that can maybe play Mike. And um, you don't have a lot of those guys out there right now. Uh, just nationally in this class, it's kind of a down year for linebackers. And most of the linebackers that are good, that have good tape, are guys that are going to be playing on the outside that are in that 6'3 range, you know, 210, 215 pounds. Guys are more angular, not those little small guys that can be explosive and really take on blocks and be enforcer-type linebackers. So this is a kid that, like we say, plays, plays linebacker and plays running back. You know, you don't really know well, what's the end deal with Pinner. Maybe he's more of a fullback. Um, there's a lot of questions here, and it kind of goes to the fact that, you know, we're not 100% sure as to what the cap of this year's scholarships are going to be. Uh, we talked about, you know, 15. Um, that number has been risen to 17 because now, as we understand it, USC is going to be able to hold over two scholarships that they didn't sign for the 2011 class. So you had that big 2011 class with 30 commitments. But a lot of those commitments, eight, nine of them, were actually holdovers from the 2010 class because they were early enrollees. Well, the same thing kind of happens with this class because the sanctions were stayed last year, you still get those two, you know, you only signed actually 23 in the class of 2011. That was the technical number. So you're able to bring over, because you're able to sign 25 per class, two more scholarships for this 2012 class. So technically, if they get two early enrollees, and Kelvin York is one of those guys that's going to be an early enrollee, uh, you're able to actually bring in 17 in this class. Now, you know, USC still has that 75 cap as a total scholarship number on their roster, and that's something a lot of people are fighting with and, and debating about, you know, can they take these running backs, can they take guys that are, you know, fullbacks and, and kickers and, you know, some of these positions that you don't look at as, as really important positions or marquee positions when you have that, you know, total cap number. But we're still waiting to see what happens with the appeal and the appeal verdict, and that's going to be another big issue. So, you know, we're kind of, when it comes to the math, sitting back and, and waiting a little bit and trying to figure out, you know, what the end deal is. But it seems like last year, you know, we kind of had these same questions in the coaches, you know, at the end of the deal, they had a handle on the situation, you know, and that's, I think, most important. USC fans getting all wild up and, and fighting and debating each other and arguing on the peristyle, I think, at the end of the day. Kind of have to trust the coaching staff. They have the numbers. They, you know, are, are talking to admissions and talking to the compliance people. They know exactly, you know, what they're supposed to be doing in terms of, uh, you know, where they are with the roster now and where they can be in the next three years. All right. Uh, a lot of good stuff there. Some topics we wanted to get to. Uh, Ryan McDaniel's a guy that we will have some video footage up of him coming up real soon. And also, I did an interview with him uh, late last week. I went down to one of his football practices, and it was a it was a really great practice, a long practice, and uh, the coaching staff was really nice to me and let me kind of go wherever I want. And I got a lot of great footage of him, so you'll be able to see without pads on. Of course, it's the, you know spring football; they don't practice with pads, but you'll be able to see him do a lot of footwork drills, a lot of just kind of running back skill drills, and then they did some team stuff, eleven on eleven, where he got carries and the balls pitched to him and they threw balls to him and things like that not a lot of uh linebacker drills unfortunately and they they did some team stuff where he played middle linebacker and you could kind of see him moving around a little bit but no real plays that happened kind of near him and it was very limited what he did linebacker wise it was mostly um uh, as a running back but you can see how developed of a kid he is and he you know he looks like he's the the biggest guy (laughs) on the on north torrance's team i mean just a really well-developed kid and, you know, he's picking up offers 
almost daily. Uh, he's got a bunch of Pac-10 offers already, and looks like he's going to start getting more. So it was kind of an interesting move, Gerard, to see that while Ryan McDaniel's kind of coming on the scene, it looks like he might you know, be in the, the mix for some kind of offer, uh, and then the whole Penner thing happens. He may still be. I mean, kind of, you know, talking to Pinner, it kind of seemed like it was all Ed Ergeron. It was just an Ed Ergeron type thing and didn't really talk about, you know, talking to Kennedy Pola or, or Lane Kiffin even. You know, didn't really talk about his relationship with the other coaches or, or, or you know, kind of where he fit in and had these conversations with, you know, the other position coaches and whatnot. Uh, I, I know Kennedy Pola is actually recruiting uh, Ryan McDaniel. So, you know, that's, again, kind of an interesting thing that sits in the back of my mind is to, you know, where does Pinner fit in the grand scheme of things? A lot of times there's just assumptions. You know, people see a kid play in high school and say, well, well, they just recruited this kid who does this and does that. Well, you know what? That's high school. I mean, who knows how this kid develops, you know, from that point on. And Pinner's one of those um, one of those athletes that I've seen play several different positions and, and you know, kind of excel at several different positions. And um, not necessarily a guy that's been super dominant, you know, at the high school level. I mean, he had 1,000 yards last year, and I think it was like 12 touchdowns. Um, but, again, he wasn't kind of the feature back. I mean, they used uh, Trey Madden a lot as a running back in the, the Wildcat, you know, formation. And, obviously, you know, he's not going to play quarterback uh, in, in, at USC um, when he enrolls this June. But uh, one of those kids, and we even talked to uh, Trey Madden a little bit about Jalil Pinner and, you know, his ability to play running back. He says, you know, he's a guy who's got great lean, you know, always going forward, um, really uses his leverage well, uh, but not necessarily known as a guy that's going to be any kind of breakaway back that you're going to give the ball to and you're going to think, okay, you know, this guy's going to be our Lindell White. This guy's going to be, you know, our big power tailback. Um, you know, power tailbacks still have to be guys that can – you know, run and make the defense pay for, you know, a 40, 50 yard touchdown. Maybe you're not going to look at him to score 80, but you're looking at him to be able to break some, some big yardage here and again. Um, if they're able to break through, you know, that big initial contact, you know, a lot of teams that they see a big back, they're going to bring up guys, you know, eight guys into the box and they're going to try to run blitz. You know, big back has to be able to break through that initial surge and get some yardage on the back end of that because, you know, those, those, everybody's up to the line of scrimmage. You get past that first line and you're going to be wide open. You don't want to just run for 15 yards after you get past that first initial surge. So, you know, McDaniel kind of looks a little more like that. He's a little more explosive, at least on film from what I've seen. I have not been able to see him in person. So, you know, that's a big thing. And he's obviously not playing against the same level of competition as, uh, as Jill O'Pinner. Jill O'Pinner plays for Mission Viejo and they play a really tough schedule. And so, you know they're they're going to have to use him in different ways uh, against better competition. You know Ryan McDaniel can kind of go in there and, and like you said for North Torrance, I mean he's like the biggest guy on the field and he's probably one of the fastest players that they have on their team as well. And that probably is true of some of the competition they're playing. So you know apples and oranges are a little different when you're comparing those two guys. Um, but I don't think. Ryan McDaniel may be completely off the radar. You know, again, assumptions. You know, you don't want to make them too much, uh, especially when, you know, like I said, you know, I mean, you know, a lot of people kind of think, well, hey, with some of these offers, you're offering a guy like a fullback, um, you know, maybe going after, you know, more receivers than they need. Maybe in the back of their mind, USC is optimistic about what happens with the appeal. And we've been hearing some good things uh, lately. It's kind of changed over the last few months. You know, maybe USC is able to get some scholarships back. Maybe the bull band won't be there. We'll see what happens. You know, I hate to build expectations because you know, at this point, the NCAA certainly hasn't, uh, you know, given any any leeway to USC uh, when it comes to sanctions or or any of the punishment that was given out uh, to the to the the report that they sent out. You know, almost something like a year ago. I mean, it seems like the the appeal's been a year in it of itself. For sure, for sure, and uh, 
Bill had a question, Gerard, and unfortunately we kind of stomped all over what he was talking about. But he wanted to know why are they recruiting, why is USC recruiting so many big backs with the reduced scholarships like you mentioned, have York and Penner already. It doesn't seem like those guys would be going anywhere else anyway, and now he's hearing about Ryan McDaniel, all the guys we talked about. What do you think the logic behind all of that is? Well, it's a fair question to ask, you know, why is USC the first offer for a guy like Jalil Pinner? I mean, you know, that, that I think fans, you know, obviously they look at guys that are being recruited and they, they you know, there's a sense of satisfaction and comfort when you're recruiting a guy and you get a commitment from a guy who has a bunch of offers from other schools because that kind of acknowledges how good he is and what other schools have seen. Um, I, I think with Pinner, though, uh, you know, Ed Ogeron saw him doing something specifically. I mean, he has it in his head. The coaching staff has it in their heads that this guy can do something for us. He fits a standard that we need. And it was kind of like last year with long snapper and kickers. You know, a lot of people were kind of going, why can we take this many guys and, and everything? And it turned out, well, at the end of the day, you know, they had 30 scholarships. They could have given out more even. I mean, they could have signed more guys in that class than they did. And they wanted to find specific role players. I don't have an issue with that just as a, you know, as a recruiting analyst. I'm watching and looking at what USC's doing. I like some of those you know, some of those guys that they got last year, a guy like Cody Temple and Charles Brooks, that, that fit a certain kind of role. You can't just get a bunch of George Farmers. And that was kind of sort of where USC was towards, you know, that middle to end point of Pete Carroll's era where, you know, they were just recruiting a lot of four- and five-star guys. And it kind of seemed like, you know, where are the guys that are fitting these specific roles that you can bring into the program and don't have the big egos and don't need to be playing as true freshmen. I mean, I understand that the, the level of competition, you bring in guys and you're starting to stack the depth chart and make guys play better, but it also fills your program with a lot of egos and it kind of destroys chemistry and sometimes you're just not getting things done at certain positions. You know, you're not bringing in a fullback that's willing to just come in and block people and that's been an issue for USC for a number of years. I think that's hurt, you know, the running game. You know, Lee Webb was brought up uh, in one of the threads on the Peristyle when people were talking about Pinner and, you know, that's really where I got to go back to to where there was a, a really legitimate lead blocker in the post-style offense, and USC was able to really run with a lot of authority um, for a number of years. I mean, they kind of had guys that were that, you know, Stanley Havili types, and I feel like in the post-style offense, you almost have to recruit double at the fullback position. I'll talk about this before. You almost have to go after the guy that's the hybrid guy that's a big back that could kind of play fullback in certain situations, maybe pass protect, maybe run block here and there, but has great hands and has the ability to run out of the backfield, a guy that's a skilled player. But then you also have to recruit the guy that's just the, just a straight physical blue collar going to go up bloody his nose and put somebody on their back and able to lead block out of the I formation. You can't have guys that just want to you know go out and catch the ball out of the offensive backfield. It doesn't work uh, when you're trying to run the ball out of the I formation. And uh, and and you know USC's kind of had some issues with that. They've been you know good and and. In some areas, because you had Havili, and he was, I think, really a really good, good player, but maybe not necessarily a guy that, you know, was always the best lead blocker, or a guy that could come in and 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 him being only, you know, really the only fullback they've had over the past couple of years. You know, attrition has also come into play, and he's a guy that's kind of worn out a little bit because you got a guy that's 225 pounds, maybe 230, trying to lead block and trying to be a guy that, you know, when the schools, when you're playing against defenses that play off of you, and they're going to play the pass. Um, 
you're going to have to run the ball a little bit. So you're going to have to use that knee blocker, you know, to keep things balanced. And uh, and then you're throwing Havili into the defensive line, and he's playing against these linebackers that, you know, are 250 pounds at defensive ends, and uh, you're just wearing your guy out. So, you know, all in all, I, I think that I like that, you know, they're, they're getting guys that they want, and, and they're getting guys that fit their system. And sometimes, you know, the most talented recruit isn't the best recruit for you. So in that way, um, I don't think it's a big issue. But, I, again, as I, as I said, I understand from a, a fan's point of view, they're going, you know, why don't you wait on Jaleel Pinner until September or, or kind of wait to see what happens with him and kind of see what happens with the appeal and if that's a position you really want to take a guy at. Um, you know, I understand that argument too. It's just one of those things that you kind of have to wait and see and maybe the coaches know something that we don't and, um, you know, maybe, you know, things kind of work themselves out. All right. Um, good stuff there and thanks for the question. Um, let's talk about the last thing I guess we could talk about the NorCal Nike camp a little bit. I didn't make it up there for that one like we did last year. Um, I guess one of the big names, Eric Armstead, was was not there working out. But there was a lot of big name guys there and a bunch of guys on the offensive line as well. It was a solid camp. It was a very balanced camp because you had some good offensive linemen. Uh, defensive line was pretty bad. Uh, didn't have a ton of uh, you know great talent. I think Armstead would have been by far the biggest name there. Um, but uh, you really offensive line was was good, um, you know, had some good depth to it. And, and then, you know, the skill positions, you had some good receivers, and you had really good defensive backs um, at that camp. I think, you know, the two guys that stand out uh, on the offensive line and kind of overall for the camp were um, Kyle Murphy and Eric Magnuson because those are two players that obviously with USC – Everybody knows they need offensive linemen. I mean, they don't have much depth at that position. Uh, it hurt them this spring. It really affected the way they could practice. And that's when you know you really have a need position, when you can't actually practice the way you want to practice because you don't have the rotation that you want. Mm-hmm. And that's really true of USC up front right now on the offensive line. So, you know, Eric Magnuson, for me, I think Eric Magnuson actually performed the best uh, of the offensive linemen that I saw. Um, you know, they're really, like I said, kind of a deep group. And there was a few different guys there that, that stood out. But I really liked what I saw from Magnuson from a, a performance standpoint, you know, what he did one-on-ones and what he did in drills, um, kind of, you know, just his overall uh, ability and the results that he had on the field. Uh, now looking at, you know, who was probably the best prospect that I saw there, I think it would be Kyle Murphy. I kind of said before, I, I lean towards him as being maybe the best offensive tackle on the West Coast this year. Um, he's about six six and a half. Uh, 275 pounds. Uh, he looked bigger than 275 pounds, actually. So, you know, he probably can, you know, muscle up and put on even more weight. He wants to play about that 280 for his senior year. Um, you know, college, I think he'll probably be in between 290, 295. And uh, just, you know, a really good-looking prospect. Got great feet, great leverage. And, again, you know, camp is a camp. You don't you kind of take it with a grain of salt. You don't necessarily put a ton of, um, of emphasis on it. I think I go back to the tape more than anything. And both Magnuson and Murphy have great tape. Murphy has probably the best tape that I've seen. Um, and so, you know, when you watch him at a camp situation, you're just kind of trying to verify certain things. You know, is he really as big as he's listed as? Is he, does he carry his weight as well? You know, is he good on his feet? Is, you know, playing in space because it's a camp situation and it's not in pads? You know, is he is he... Is he is he bumbling at all? You know, does he have balance issues? Is his kick step good? You know, he's pretty solid in all those situations. I think, you know, strength-wise, he could definitely, like I said, get stronger. And there was a play where one-on-ones, he kind of got thrown to the side a little bit by a bigger defensive end, made a nice rip move on him, um, kind of got him off on his back foot and just kind of tossed him aside a little bit. Uh, like I said, Magson didn't really have any of those issues. He was pretty solid from what I saw, you know, all around. So um, I like both those guys, and 
I think both those guys are USC level talents. You know, Eric Magnuson doesn't have that scholarship offer from USC yet. He's waiting on that scholarship offer from USC, or at least he's waiting right now. <laughs> he might commit soon. Um, you know, he's kind of giving me the impression that uh, he does want to make a decision soon. Uh, but he, you know, possibly could end up still visiting USC if they offer later down the line. I mean, he's definitely looking at USC, and I think looking at the schools that are closer to home. I think he, you know, while talks about, you know, looking at these schools like Oklahoma and some of the schools like Miami and the South that have offered him, I think he still uh, very much, um, you know, would prefer to play, to stay home. That's kind of my read on that situation. Cal Murphy has been up to uh, Stanford a bunch. A lot of people think, you know, Stanford's a possibility for him. I, I think they are a player. I think Cal's a player. Um, you know, he's, I think, much more open than people you know, kind of, uh, I think a lot of people kind of want to peg him at a school and give him an early leader, and I don't think he really has it. I, I think there's a little bit of uh, uh, people just are kind of jumping to conclusions a little bit on some of the things he says. Notre Dame was tossed in there early on as, oh, I think he's a Notre Dame guy. I, I think he's a West Coast guy, and I think that USC is very much in it. Um, Stanford would probably be the second pick there with him. Cal is a little bit of a sleeper with him because he's been up there a couple times as well. Um, but he's a pretty, you know, I, I just don't feel like he's really committing to, to putting too much emphasis on, on anything right now or enough to think that, you know, okay, he's, you know, this school's a, a clear leader for him. Um, but, you know, we'll see how it shakes out during the summer and if he's able to make some camps and make some more unofficial visits. Um, on the offensive side of the ball, at the skill positions, you know, receiver was kind of an intriguing position. You had Jadon Mickens, who's, you know, been committed to USC for a while there. Um, you had uh, uh, Devontae Neal, who we saw at the Los Angeles Nike camp, and he was playing receiver this time. We saw him play cornerback at the uh, uh, Los Angeles Nike camp, and I definitely liked that. I liked what I saw of him playing cornerback in Los Angeles more than what I've seen of him playing receiver uh, at least this past weekend. He actually got the MVP uh, with um, you know with the receivers uh, at Palo Alto and then I keep at Stanford, but I don't know. I, I've seen so much of him at receiver. Maybe I'm just kind of looking for things, and I'm, I'm overly critical because I've seen a lot of them. Um, but I just don't know how much upside there is to him playing receiver because he's you know he's a good five nine, five ten, 170, maybe 175 pounds now. And runs great routes, he's quick, but he doesn't have a lot of great top-end speed. And so he's kind of making a lot. He's doing a lot with a little, and he's more of a technician guy. And you kind of wonder, okay, where's the upside there? You know, is he able to, is he, you know, physically, he's not going to grow a whole lot more. Uh, is he going to really get a whole lot faster? Not really. Um, so we're, so what do you have? You kind of have the, the finished product right now. Um, whereas you look at a guy like Jaden Mickens, I see a lot of potential with Jaden Mickens still. I mean, I see a kid that's still a kid, very young, you know, runs track, uh, involved, you know, he wants to get into that 10-6 range. I don't know if he's going to get that 10-6 range this spring, but he's really quick and he's really smooth. And I think, you know, people consistently ask me, you know, what's going on with this receiver position? And then, again, it goes back to the total scholarship numbers and the depth that USC has at the position right now at receiver. You know, what, they got three guys committed. I mean, they really need three guys committed? I mean, what's going on? you got Darius Rogers, you got Jordan Payton, and then you got Jaron Minkins. I mean, one of those guys can't be the guy, right? I mean, they, they're really going to recruit all three of these guys. I like Jaron Mickens because he's an extreme. He's quick. He's small. He's fast. 
he again kind of sort of like you know a Jalil Pinner as a running back. You know he fits a certain role for USC. He has something that they don't necessarily have. Now, granted, you know you could kind of make the the remark, hey, you know he's another Trayvon Patterson, a guy that's not really going to do a lot at USC, blah blah blah. But I think you know some of the things with Trayvon Patterson, Trayvon uh, didn't really I think work as hard off the field uh, necessarily. And and I wish he would have gotten more chances on the field to be honest with you because we saw him in practice do some great things. But I always heard you know in the film room and studying the playbook, uh, it didn't come to him as fast as it did with other players. I think that's not going to be an issue with Jadon. I think Jadon's, you know, sharp kid on top of it, willing to work hard. Um, but again, you know, you kind of look at that, you know, polarizing position. You can have a guy like freaking Kyle Prater, who's 6'5", you know, 220 pounds, and then you've got to have that guy that complements him. Well, you're going to get a bunch of guys that are 6'1", 200 pounds, I mean, because they've got guys like that on the roster already. They don't got a guy like Jadon Mickens who's great in space, who has just great instincts, catches the ball well, and can run after the catch. And I think that's what he brings um, to the table. And that's what, you know, we saw a little bit of that at the Nike camp. We saw his hands. We saw how smooth he was on certain routes. And, and saying he's smooth on routes is saying a lot because he really hasn't had a lot of uh, instruction there on route running. Um, so that's, that's a big deal. But I think more than anything, you know, the, the catching the ball and running, you know, after the catch is something you don't get to see at a camp a whole lot. You know, they're not going to run bubble screens. It's, you know, it's non-contact camp, so you're not going to see a guy running space real well. Um, you get to see that more like in cone drills and watching his feet and whatnot. Um, so I like what I saw from him. And uh, and probably, you know, the guy that w- stood out from an eyeball standpoint the most was Deontay Greenberry, um, a 6'2", 285-pound receiver slash athlete from Fresno High School or excuse me, Fresno Union High School, and uh, he's a good-looking athlete. As I say, you know, kind of looking at him eyeball-wise, tremendous-looking kid, but as a receiver, he rounds his routes a lot, and it's not necessarily a, a technical thing so much as physically. I just don't know if he's flexible and agile enough to really be a great route runner. And again, you know, you're looking at a guy who's 6'2", you know, 185 pounds, that's kind of between being a, a big, you know, kind of a split-end type and a guy who's more of a possession receiver. And if you're a possession receiver, you know, you kind of go, okay, well, well do you run the great routes? Do you have that, this, that genesis qua that, you know, Steve Smith had, that ability to just work uh, those short routes and to get open that way? He's, he's not that guy. And then you kind of look at it, you know, physically, does he have that speed to necessarily stretch the field as like a split-end? Not really either. He's a he's a long strider. Takes a little bit to kind of get going and and can kind of get downfield. Uh, has good hands and like I said, he's strong and he's he's got a pretty good build on him. But he's not six four, so it's not necessarily going to be able to use his body just to kind of you know control uh, the route. So. You know, like him, he actually played a little bit of safety here and there. I kind of wanted to see more of that. I kind of think, you know, at the end of the day, his best position might be safety. Um, and then we had Keith Shepard who ended up playing more receiver than he did uh, in the defensive back, which was weird because the whole day, you know, during position drills, it was all defensive back, all playing cornerback. Got to see him, you know, smooth, good routes, or I should say good hips. Um, he was real, you know, kind of smooth on those routes, kind of coming off of them, breaking on the ball. And then, uh, and then one-on-ones were all waiting for him, you know, to play against Deontay Greenberry, and it didn't happen because he ends up going over and playing receiver. The reason he said he played receiver is because he had a shoulder injury. Now, I don't know about you, but the logic that comes to mind between having a shoulder injury and playing receiver doesn't really, it doesn't really pan out. I mean, you know, why are you going to be catching the ball over your head as a receiver if you've got a sore shoulder? Wouldn't it be easier to play defensive back? I mean, that's just my thinking. So, uh, that, but that kind of plays towards, 
US, does USC really recruit these guys? Um, you got T. Shepard, and you got Deontay Greenberry. Uh, you got a few guys up there at Fresno. I, this position-wise, I just kind of don't feel it. You know, I just get the vibe that, you know, they're talking like we want to get out of state, we want to go to Alabama, we want to go – all these crazy schools they throw out there. I just don't get the feel that these guys would necessarily be the right guys for USC right now at this time for the way – you know, where the program is. Again, it kind of goes back, you know, Julio Pinner, Charles Burks, these guys that are from Orange County, these guys that are, you know, kind of grew up, you know, root for USC, um, you know, they're, they're diehard USC fans. Uh, I think that's kind of what the program has, and, and, they, and they have to continue to have in order to kind of get through these sanctions. And, you know, if you're only going to have 75 and you're going to have limited guys, you've got to make sure that the guys you have are solid at the positions you want them for. I mean, you've got to say, look, this is where we project them at. And this is where he's going to play, and he's going to do this for us. You know, we, we know that we're going to get a minimum from him at this position, and, and you have a very clear vision of it. You can't be so, Pete Carroll, I like athletes, and I'm just going to recruit this guy because he's a great athlete, and we'll figure out where we put him later. I don't think you can do as much with that uh, right now where USC is at. So, you know, with those Fresno kids, they're going to come down to the Rising Stars camp. I kind of said they weren't going to, but I talked to their coach, and he was like, yeah, you know, they're, they're going to come down, they're going to compete, you know, I want our guys to get that exposure. And the Rising Stars camp, you know, sanctions or no sanctions, is still probably one of the biggest national camps in the country. I mean, everybody from everywhere is coming to the Rising Stars camp, so it's a great place for these guys to compete against each other. And so they'll do that, but I think at the end of the day, eh, you know, it's, it's, it's just I don't feel it happening. And, and probably the same goes for um, the biggest name recruit that was, you know, in Palo Alto uh, that weekend, which was uh, Shaquille Thompson, who is, you know, a good 6'1", 210 pounds, uh, really looked more like a linebacker up there uh, than he did a safety as far as his build. He's a really big boy, and he just continues to get bigger. Um, you know, played some corner last year and the year before, but he definitely going to play safety in college. Uh, a guy that committed to Cal early on, backed off that commitment, says he's going to officially visit USC and a few other schools. Um, you know, he's a grandkid. Cal is a clear leader for him. Um, and the, the, the chances of him going somewhere other than Cal are pretty slim to none. Um, but like I said, he's going to officially visit USC, give him a look, give him a chance. And uh, USC needs a really quality safety. I mean, they need to get a guy in this class that uh, they're probably only going to be able to take one maybe. So, you know, they need to get somebody who's a really good player. Obviously, Shaq Thompson's a very good player. Uh, like I said, big kid, fast. Um, you know, a little interesting watching him in one-on-ones, man-on-man. Um, I don't think he is the most comfortable backpedal that I've seen. But playing safety, I think he's going to be coming up towards the line of scrimmage more. He's going to be backing away from it. So that's kind of my long, rambling summation. <laughs> of the Palo Alto Mikey camp for you. Yeah, and you even broke out a je ne sais quoi in there. Not bad. Je ne sais quoi. <laughs> Great stuff, Gerard. We uh, we appreciate you coming on and talking recruiting. I know even on Twitter, people are asking me, is Gerard not going to be on the podcast anymore? No, no, of course he's going to be on the podcast. But he's he's busy right now, all the May evaluation stuff, getting everything on. So we wanted to at least get an update with you and re- really appreciate it, Gerard. Is that it? Do we get, do I not get to talk about uh, Kevon Seymour? I was going to add that little bit. Oh, right, go ahead. Yeah, we, for, why not? We've run a little long, but why don't we throw that in too? Uh, that was one of the latest offers, and it probably one of the biggest uh, names to get an offer. I mean, he's got a couple commitments here uh, from uh, from running backs, and I think the bigger news was that USC actually pulled the trigger on Kevon Seymour, six foot, one hundred seventy pound quarterback, and we're talking about T. Shepard. Uh, this is a kid that's a you know local quarterback at a Pasadena Mira High School, and um, you know a guy that USC's been flirting with for a long time, and, and he has a bunch of offers. You know, Florida came in and offered him, and and all you know basically the more of the Pac-10 schools 
than I can count on one finger or one hand. One finger. That would be interesting. I guess that kind of like narrows down the number that I would have. Uh, it sure does. <laughs> to count, count <laughs> more schools than I can count on one finger. Well, that would be one. Uh, more schools I can count on one hand uh, have offered him from uh, the Pac-12. And, uh, and so, you know, he's, um, you know, been recruited pretty hard by a bunch of different schools. And USC's been slipping a little bit with him because he hadn't had that offer. Um, but now, you know, they come through. And uh, it was just last week, I think, um, they offered him a scholarship formally. And, um Gave us the impression he was coming real close to a commitment. Uh, that, you know, we'll see what happens with that. USC says, you know, they'll take his commitment, um, and he can still take visits, which we're going to see with a lot of these commitments. I, I think the verbal commitments, you know, kind of going back to this, this, this in general, they really don't mean anything anymore. They're pretty much, uh, I don't even know if we should be calling verbal commitments verbal commitments anymore because it's kind of like, you know, it's an oxymoron, basically. The kids, you know, they go and they commit, and then they're like, well, I'm going to take visits to all these other schools. And it's like, well, why did you commit? Why? I mean, just basically put your foot in the door with uh, that school and save yourself a spot. So that might happen with kids on Seymour. You know, like I said, six foot, 100 and um, – probably about 180 pounds. I mean, he's, he's getting a little bigger. You know, we want to see him here uh, pretty soon in the May evaluation period. He's been running track and um, reportedly ran a 10.65. We have yet to verify that. We haven't seen that, you know, at, at any kind of reputable source uh, that, that, that's, you know, put that out um, in print that he ran a 10.65. But that would obviously be a huge time, and, and you could see why USC would want to jump and pull the trigger, you know, because I think that's the one thing that you watch his tape, you're watching a great player, you're watching a guy that, you know, plays quarterback, you know, plays some, some running back, he plays safety, he plays corner. That's what you want to see, I think, from a high school player uh, as a defensive player in the backfield. Um, you know, I'm always wary of a guy that will end up, you know, you watch his tape and it's like only cornerback. Or it's a, you know, high school level, you, playing cornerback is probably the least, you're not going to see any action there. So, you know, why would a high school coach only put his best athlete on the field at corner and just keep him at corner? And these question marks have to come from that uh, because you just don't have a lot of great passing offenses in the high school level where a guy's going to get tested. You know, they'll just say, okay, sure, you leave your guy, your best athlete over there in corner, we just won't throw over there. So um, you want to see a guy be able to play safety, play over the field, play running back, play, you know, special teams, and Keelan Seymour does that. And um, so, you know, if you're able to kind of back that up with, all right, we've seen that on film, now what is this legitimate speed? Six five. Okay, we want that kid, and so you know we'll see if uh, we can verify that track time. Uh, but you know, definitely a guy that's kind of uh, a marquee type corner. USC is only going to take one, maybe two corners uh, in this class. So it would kind of be like uh, you know getting Jabari Ruffin as a as a linebacker. You kind of get that local guy who's uh, you know maybe the best player in the region. Got him there in your back pocket, and then you can kind of go, all right, you know, maybe we'll get another guy, you know, out of state if he's really, you know, what we're looking for, if he's really, you know, that big time of a guy. So we'll see how it develops. Again, you know, comes back to the whole 15, 17, is it maybe 20? How many scholarships do they have? What's the total cap? Is it 75? Is it 80? You know, all that stuff comes to mind uh, with these scholarship offers. And, you know, we'll keep plugging away and keep trying to stay on top of it as much as we can. I know we will, Gerard, and we've been out there. Since, since these sanctions came down, been kind of guessing and putting stuff, theories together and all that. But I think we've been on top of it. And we, we nailed it last uh, for last signing day. We told people what they were going to do, and that's what ended up happening. We'll see what happens this time. Hopefully, hopefully. I've got my fingers crossed, and that would be two fingers. Yeah, <laughs> not, not one. All right, well, Gerard, thanks again for coming on and uh, sharing all your insights on USC recruiting. We'll have you on again soon. And See you out there on the Peristyle talking all about the new commits and new offers and all of that. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me. I hope uh, 
everybody, uh, we're coming up for what Memorial Day weekend. Hope everybody's safe, and uh, talk to you soon. Sounds great, Gerard. Thank you, and thanks to everyone else out there for listening to the Peristyle Podcast. We really enjoy that you download and send us in your questions for the show. We'll talk to you all again next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 